Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. We are uh, we're in week three of a series of conversations that we kicked off a few weeks ago that we're affectionately calling cow tipping. And what we're doing throughout the course of this series is we're taking some of these sacred cows that the church has elevated to positions of prominence and importance, and we're knocking them over. We're destroying them because I'm convinced that when you knock over the sacred cows, you're able to put in its place what's actually sacred, and that's the name of Jesus. Right, And so what we're doing is, instead of getting so worked up around the things that we feel like are so important, we're looking at the things which are so important in its place. And so I'm really, really uh, excited to be able to hang with you guys and continue this series of conversations this morning. I do need to forewarn you, though, um, while I do believe that this is probably um, the single most important conversation um, I have had with our church to date in our four years of history, and while I'm convinced that this is exactly what God wants our church to hear and understand and know, because the power that comes along with it once we understand and know it, I am simultaneously equally as nervous about the consequences of preaching this particular message. And let me tell you why. Because some sacred cows you knock over and everybody cheers. Some sacred cows you knock over and shrapnel goes everywhere and gets in everybody's eyes and they freak out on you and sue you and decide to never come back to your church again. Today's one of those days, right? And so I want you to hear my heart in saying that if you walk out with more questions than answers, then I did my job. If you walk out wondering more and asking more and longing for more and looking for more and saying, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure I fully understand that, now we're talking. Because what I'm convinced has happened is in Christendom is we've made the mistake of trying to box the name of Jesus and walking with a God whose ways are higher than our ways and thoughts are higher than our thoughts into these perfectly understood grids. And God is not meant to be completely and fully understood, right? And so when we feel like we've got a one-up on God, when we feel like we've got a handle on God, when we feel like we understand God, when we feel like that our theology is perfected, this is my promise to you, that is when your theology is fully and completely jacked up. Because now you think you have an understanding of God that's impossible for you to have. And so what we're gonna talk about today will cause you to question. It will cause you to question where I'm at. And I want you to hear me say that if that's the case, that's good news because you're finally doing exactly what I want you to do in place of gathering around this sacred cow. The sentence that I want to knock over and destroy today goes something like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so tells me so. We teach our kids this. We sing songs about this. We communicate this in Christian circles all over the world. That because the Bible says that Jesus loves us, we can take that to the bank. 
Because the Bible says something, it's got to be absolute truth. Because the Bible says something, we can put our faith and trust and hope and assurance in whatever that thing is. That if we can't trust the Bible, we can't trust anything. So whatever the Bible says has to be gospel for your life and my life. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Well, if that's the case, then you also got to be willing to make these statements. Slaves should obey their masters, not fight for their freedom, because the Bible tells me so. And just in case you're wondering, that's not Old Testament, that's not Old Covenant, that's New Covenant. That's in the New Testament. That's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, slaves, obey your masters. Submit to your masters. Why? Because the Bible says so. You also have to take this statement into account. Women should keep their head covered and their mouth shut when they're in church. Why? Because the Bible says so. Just in case you're wondering, we're in the New Testament still. How about this one? Brothers should marry their sister-in-law if their husband dies. Why? Because the Bible says so. For some of y'all, that's a game changer. That's it right there. You're like, you know what? I didn't know the Bible said that, but now that I do, I think I'm not coming back anymore. I'm done. You're like, you ain't never met my sister-in-law, right? Lustful eyes should be gouged out because the Bible says so. Somebody gets caught stealing, they should have their hand cut off because the Bible says so. Again, we're not talking about an old set of rules that's been abolished and done away with. This is in the New Testament, the same New Testament that says that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me. So just saying that you should bank security on a statement because it's in the Bible isn't entirely accurate, is it? Because there's a lot in the Bible that you guys don't bank your lives on. There's a lot in the Bible that I don't bank my life on. There are countries in this world today that are still practicing gouging out eyes and cutting off hands. And you know what we call that? Barbaric. You know what the Apostle Paul calls it? Biblical. So, should we live our lives a certain way because the Bible says so? Because, man, we preach that, don't we? We cling to that. We hold on to that. And I know some of you right now are going, this is not an amen sermon. I'm, I'm not saying a word. This is a trick question. I'm not even sure if I'm ever coming back to this place again. Just, here's what I want you to do. Instead of writing this off because of the culture that you were raised in, because of writing this off because we are in um, a church in the South um, that takes part in evangelical, fundamental Western Christianity, and it makes you uncomfortable, be willing to walk with me for a few minutes because I hope and pray that by the time we're done with this you'll see that Jesus loves you this you know for far greater reasons than the fact that the Bible tells you so I'm going to make a statement and the statement is going to really rub you the wrong way and catch you off guard and some of you are going to say that's it I'm done I'm walking out just hang with me God doesn't want you to obey the scriptures. You say, man, I should have put my kids in kids' church today. I should not have brought them in here. God doesn't want you to obey the scriptures. He wants you to wrestle with the scriptures. He wants you to struggle with the scriptures. 
And he wants you to come out on the other side of wrestling with the scriptures in the same way that Jacob came out on the other side of wrestling God with a limp, with an obvious reminder that that scripture has done something to you. That scripture has marked your life. That scripture has changed you. And in fact, after Jacob, after Jacob wrestled with God, he was no longer called Jacob. He was called Israel. God wants the scripture to do so much more than just be obeyed in your life. God wants the scripture to be wrestled with in such a way that it changes the way you walk and it changes the way other people perceive you, right? When my kids just obey me, I'm not changing their heart, I'm modifying their behavior. When I tell them, I don't want you to play in the street, guess what? They don't play in the street when I'm around, but the moment I walk away, they start playing in the street again. I don't want my kids to obey me. I want my kids to understand me. I want my kids to to take ownership of what it is that I tell them to do, right? And so I want them to wrestle with this idea of should I play in the street or not, and then come out on the other side saying, not dad told me I shouldn't do this, but I don't want to get hit by a car. I think I'm going to stay out of the road, right? God doesn't want you to just obey the text. He wants you to wrestle with the text. He wants you to come to your conclusions with the text. And some of you are going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's that's kind of counter to everything I've been taught. Exactly. Because in our culture, we are hell-bent on behavior modification. We love telling people, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. If you do what you're supposed to do, you get these rewards. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, you get these consequences. And that is not how the God of the Bible works. God doesn't want you to obey what the scriptures say. God wants you to wrestle with the scriptures, wrestle with him, and come out on the other side different because of your encounter with him. God wants you to walk with him in spirit and in truth in such a way that you are forever changed by the encounter of walking alongside of him. God doesn't want us to just take the verses at face value and say, well, I'm going to do them. Why? Well, because it's what the Bible says to do. In fact, it was never meant to be this way. If I do something because the Bible told me so was required to know God, then the first century church was totally screwed, right? You know why? Because they didn't have one yet. They didn't have a Bible. The gospel was just as true long before the gospel writers ever wrote it down. For God so loved the world was just as true long before John decided to put it in chapter 3, verse 16 of his book. So we don't believe that God so loves the world because the Bible says so. We believe that God so loves the world because God so loves the world, right? Because people have encountered him, people have experienced him, people have seen him. The first century apologetic, and if you don't know what apologetic means, it simply means a defense of your faith. The first century apologetic was not, it is written. Instead, the first century apologetic was, it happened and we are eyewitnesses to that reality. They didn't go around preaching the gospel. Peter and and James and John didn't stand up in the temple and say, look, look, the same Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, and it's by his power that we're able to make the lame walk and the blind see. Like, they didn't do that because they read some verse somewhere that told them they were supposed to do that. They did that because they encountered a living Savior, and they knew that their lives were forever going to be changed because of that encounter. So often we put so much stock in what the Bible says and how the Bible says it and what the the written word is that we miss out on the reality that God doesn't want us to just read the written word and do what it says. God wants us to experience the God of the written word and then be forever changed as a result. But you and I elevate this sacred cow of we do what the Bible says, nothing more, nothing less. And God's going, where did you get that? 
Where did you get that? Where did you ever come to the conclusion that somehow my character changed after the scripture was canonized? Where did you ever come to the conclusion that your mandate is any different than Peter, James, and John's? See, the apostle Paul preached a beautiful and declarative gospel and started churches all over the known world, and he did so without a single chapter or verse written in the New Testament, which tells me something. The gospel is good news, and it stands on its own outside of the text of the scriptures, which means God wants you to build your life not on a book, but on him. Some of you are going, yeah, but we got a Bible now. And so now we know. So now we're supposed to do that. Well, I'm not so sure. Because in the first century, it amazes me that the authority for truth was given to people, not to pages. And I don't see anywhere in the pages that so many of us cling so tightly to that that was supposed to ever change, right? Peter, James, and John, and Paul, they all spoke with authority. Where were they given that authority from? Not from the Bible, it hadn't been written yet. And here's why. Because the spirit of the living God was placed in people, not in pages. And somebody needs to show me where somewhere along the way that changed. Because now we place all of our authority in pages and remove all authority from people. And because we do that, we make the mistake of instead of wrestling with the text, just doing what the text says. And we end up missing out on the spirit of the text to begin with. And this isn't new to us. This idea of Jesus placing authority on people over pages is not new. Did you know in Jewish culture what rabbis would do? is they would travel from town to town, place to place. Jesus was a rabbi. He had disciples. Jesus wasn't the only rabbi. There were lots of rabbis. Lots of rabbis had groups of disciples. They would travel from town to town, and they would preach in synagogues. Now, it was very different from from our culture today. It wasn't Jesus stood up on a stage and delivered a sermon at the end. Everybody said amen and went home. But it was conversive. People would, people would, 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 would communicate, and they would talk, and they would discuss, and they would have conversations around the Torah. And what rabbis were charged with doing was, interpreting the Torah and so one rabbi would show up and he'd say this is how you interpret the Torah and another rabbi would show up and say no no no. this is how you interpret the Torah and they kind of argue back and forth and they try to get as close to the original meaning that God intended for the Torah to convey at the very beginning of when it was written but they would interpret the scriptures for the people and this process was called binding and loosening. These were the technical terms that rabbis would use. Binding and loosening. Some of you are going, wait a minute, I think I've heard that before. Yes, you have. Hang with me. So what rabbis would do is they'd come in and they would articulate their interpretation of Torah and they would tell you based on their interpretation what is bound, what is prohibited, and what is loosened, what is permitted, what is allowed. And every rabbi would have a little bit of a different bent a little bit of a different interpretation on how the Torah should be lived out. This is why Jesus made a statement that would have been very familiar in Jewish culture, and it was, you have heard it said, but I say to you, right? You've heard it preached this way, but I say this to you. It's why Jesus said, I have not come to 
abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. These were common words in Jewish culture. Abolish meant that you were completely interpreting the text wrong. Fulfill the law means that you are lining yourself up exactly with what the original intent of the text was. And Jesus was saying, I didn't come to interpret the text wrong. I came to show you the living embodiment of what it's like to live out the text, of what the text was meant to look like in flesh and blood. But then Jesus does something interesting in Matthew chapter 16. If you got your Bibles, I want you to flip it over to verse 19 of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, the scripture says this, and Jesus is speaking to Peter and the disciples, but in context, while he is speaking to the disciples, he's also speaking to you and to me. You say, well, how do we know he's speaking to you and to me? Because there's no difference between you and me and Peter and James and John. Because we are all disciples of Christ, right? Jesus says these words to his disciples. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Some of us read that and we're like, wait a minute. Sounds like Jesus has given people authority to bind and to loose, to interpret Torah, to prohibit and to permit. That is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, whatever you bind here, that is the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose here, that is the kingdom of heaven. I am giving you the authority placed in you by my spirit to bind and to loose. Jesus was giving his disciples permission to interpret whatever scriptures had been written and whatever scriptures would come along. And in case you're going, no, 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 Robbie, you're reading that all wrong. That is not what he meant. You're adding way too much to the text. You're preaching heresy. If you don't believe me, flip over just a little bit to Acts chapter 15, because this is just a few months after Jesus leaves the scene and we find the church leaders doing exactly this, binding and loosing. What we have happening in Acts chapter 15 is a group of church leaders gathered together and they are having a discussion on what should be permitted and what should be bound for believers outside of Jerusalem. There's a church in Antioch and it's a church filled with Gentiles, people who weren't raised in Jewish culture. And they're having the discussion, hey, what parts of Jewish culture should these guys have to keep as part of the church? And it was a big discussion because the church in Antioch didn't follow any of the Jewish culture, any of the Jewish principles. And if to come to Jesus, they were going to have to start living by Jewish Old Testament principles, a lot was going to have to change in their life. And for the men, something was going to have to change on their body. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can nudge your neighbor and be like, what's he talking about? They'll tell you. But in Acts chapter 15, James, the brother of Jesus, but more importantly, the disciple of Jesus, makes the following admission. He says, it's my, please pay attention to this, judgment. It's my judgment. Yeah, but Robbie, he was an early church leader. Yeah, but Robbie, he was, he was, he was the, the, the brother of Jesus. Yeah, but he was important. He was given authority. You show me where he was given any less authority than you. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Basically, what he was saying is, is my judgment. We ain't going to put them boys through that. They're grown men. That'd be awful. They didn't have enough wine to make that pain go away. 
Instead, we should write to them because they are familiar with the law of Moses. They're not familiar with all our laws, but they're familiar with the law of Moses. So we should write to them and just tell them to abstain from food polluted by, uh, by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Picking and choosing what was permitted and what was not. Well, what gives James that authority? Jesus did. When he says, whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosened. Here's the good news from today. You have been given that same authority. God's desire is for you and me to wrestle with and interpret the text. So often we make it seem like a bad thing when people interpret the scriptures. The reality is when you read the scripture, you are interpreting it and any systematic theology that you align with is because somebody else has interpreted the scriptures and you've now aligned yourself with them. And we think of that as a bad thing. Church, please hear me say this morning, God wants you to interpret his word. He wants you to wrestle with his word. He wants you to struggle with his word. He wants you to figure out what his word is saying to you and he wants you to come out on the other side taking ownership of his word for your life God wants you to wrestle with the text he wants you to interpret the text and then he wants the text to transform you not because it's there and so you obey it but because you are allowing it to work in and on your heart and life and ultimate truth isn't found in face value words of a book, but it's found in the earth-shaking name of Jesus. That's the ultimate truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Not this book is the way, the truth, the life. Just in case you're wondering, in John chapter 1, Jesus was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Just in case you're wondering, in Hebrews, it references Jesus being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We've place the Bible up on a pedestal that it was never meant to be placed on. God's desire for us was to do the same thing that the writers of the scripture did, and that is to wrestle with the truth of Jesus and come out on the other side with an understanding and a relationship with him. And that doesn't downplay or discount the Bible. Church, you got to hear me say this. This is not minimizing the authority of the Bible in your life. It's maximizing the role of the Bible in your life. Because instead of just reading it at face value and just doing what it says, instead you're taking ownership of it and you're allowing this faith to become real and personal and yours. You're taking ownership of your faith. You're interpreting the text. You're binding and loosening and doing exactly what the early church did. And that is taking the person of Jesus and allowing him to transform your heart and life. Allowing the character of God, which is on display throughout the text, and pairing it with the understanding of God that you have. And allowing the spirit of God to get you to a place of understanding when it's all said and done. Now I know this makes people super uncomfortable. Because here's where all of the staunch conservatives in the room, this is where your minds go. So are you just saying that like, like people just do whatever they want? Like they don't like certain verses, they don't have to follow certain verses because they don't agree with certain verses, they don't like certain verses, so they'll just kick those out. Can people just do whatever they want? No, 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 no. The idea of binding and loosening is not permitted in the flesh. It's made possible by the Spirit, right? 
And so this is not about you doing whatever you want. It's about you wrestling with the text and allowing God's spirit to work on you and transform your heart and your life. And how do we best determine whether the spirit of God is speaking accurately to our heart and life? In community with other believers, right? There is a reason that the early church, when they didn't have a Bible, they sold everything they had and they moved in together. Why? Because they were going to have a lot of discussions about Jesus. They were going to have a lot of wrestling matches over Jesus. They were going to have a lot of arguments about Jesus. They were going to come to a lot of conclusions about Jesus, but they were going to do it together. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. And so this is not about you going in a closet, figuring out what you think that the Bible says, and then separating yourself from the church because the church doesn't like your opinion. This is about you wrestling with God's word and then coming and sharing with others about your experience and allowing their wrestling with God to come and share about their experience. And together you come to a conclusion about who God is and what he wants to do in this world and in your life far greater than you ever could if you would have just followed a verse at face value. God doesn't want us to just read a verse and say, well, that's what the Bible says. No, 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 no. I don't live my life based on what the Bible says. I live my life based on the God I know. I live my life based on the God that I experience. I live my life based on the, the body of Christ which has surrounded me and helped sharpen me and caused me to grow in my faith. I don't live my life and I don't bind and loosen based on what I want. I bind and loosen based on what the Spirit of God is doing in me. And in so doing, it makes things super open-ended. It makes things super gray. It makes things super difficult to articulate and explain with neat little lines. But you got to know that is exactly where God wants you to be. Because his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And when you think you finally got a one-up on God and got him figured out, you have missed the point. It's why, as somebody who's had nearly 30 credit hours of systematic theology, systematic theology drives me absolutely nuts. And here's why. Because it's taking someone else's interpretation and banking on it as gospel. And God never intended for me to treat the Bible that way. God wants me to wrestle with the text. He wants me to struggle with the text. He wants me me to argue with him. He wants me to have conversations with him. And he wants me to come out on the other side taking ownership of what I believe. And here's what that means. That means that when a lot of people ask me questions, there's a whole lot of I don't know. But what I do know, I know that I know that I know that I know because I didn't buy it from somebody else. God showed it to me. I take ownership of it. There's a lot of I don't know, but I'm okay with that. And here's the beauty of this. When I bind and loosen and you bind and loosen and we come to two different, uh, basically, conclusions on the same text, we don't have to part ways because we're doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. We don't have to allow this to divide us. We can say, no, I'm doing what God told me to do. You're doing what God told you to do. And we're collectively growing together in our faith with the Lord. And we stopped asking the question a long time ago, who's right? And started asking the question, are we pursuing Jesus? And if you are, that's right, period. There's nobody on the planet, in my estimation, that works in evangelical church circles that disagrees with me more on theological nuances than this guy right here, Sam Donahue, our worship pastor. And he used to drive us nuts. He used to hate what I did. I used to hate what he did. He used to hate conclusions I came to. I used to hate conclusions he came to. And you know what we decided to do a few years ago? Not part ways over stuff we disagreed on. You know why? 
because God had given him the freedom to bind and loose and given me the freedom to bind and loose. And he's able to do work and minister to people that I can never minister to and I'm able to do work and minister to people that he can never minister to people and he can never minister to. And you know what it allows us to do? Be a beautiful example of the body of Christ, right? You don't have to argue anymore about disagreeing over the scriptures. Agree on Jesus and let everything else fall by the wayside. This is why we say at Hope City, God's word is infallible, but our interpretation of it is not. So here's what that means. That means we gotta agree on Jesus, but every other interpretation is open for discussion. And that, that weirds people out. Because they're like, well, what's the church's position on this? We don't have one. What's the church's position on this? We don't have one. And people think that that's like a, just a, a line, like a get out of jail free card um, so that we don't have to answer the question. No, no, you need to know we legitimately don't have one. Should you speak in tongues in church or not? We don't have a position on that. Is, is Jesus coming back before the tribulation or after the tribulation? We don't have a position on that. Has the tribulation already happened? We don't have a position on that. Do you know what the tribulation is? We don't have a position on that. We're making the conscious decision as a church to not plant our feet on theological nuances because the Bible says so, because we've come to the understanding that the Bible says so just means my interpretation of the Bible says so. And that's okay, but I don't have to convince everybody to interpret the Bible the same way that I do. The same Jesus that lives in me lives in you, and we can disagree on the nuances and still go to heaven together, right? You say, Robbie, what's the application of this? The application is huge, so, so important. When you begin to live this way, you no longer have to beat people over the head with your interpretation of God's word for their life. Now you're no longer being the hall monitor for morality for everybody else. Instead, you're talking about who God is and what he's teaching you, and you're asking questions of what God's teaching others. And life change happens far more in conversation and community than in rules and regulations. I don't want to be a church full of people that say, we do this because the Bible says so. I want to be a church full of people that come to all different conclusions but are wrestling with the text. And rather than falling in love with the Bible, they've fallen in love with the God of the Bible. And they understand that the Bible is just a tool to get to know that God. Does that make sense? So, that sacred cow needs to come down. I do what the Bible says because the Bible says so, and the Bible's the end all be all for my life. No, 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 no. Instead, you need to replace it with, I wrestle with the text in order to get to know the God of the Bible because I want to walk with him intimately and personally, and I want him to transform my heart, not just my behavior. I want to walk with him, and I want him to change me. And if he hasn't changed somebody else over here, and he hasn't done this thing over there in their life, because they haven't wrestled through the text enough yet, that's okay. If they don't come to the same conclusion as me, that's okay. If they're not in the same place as me, that's okay. 
because this is what God's done in me. This is my new name. This is my limp. This is my evidence of wrestling with the God of the universe and coming out on the other side changed. So God, we just want to pause this morning and thank you for the power of the authority that you have placed in us. We want to thank you for the truth of your son, Jesus. And we want to thank you for the tools of the scriptures that we have to get to know your son, Jesus. God, thank you for giving us the authority to walk and to wrestle and to struggle and to come out on the other side different because of an intimate relationship with you. May we be you descend like upon me like a rolling stone, like blood interpret in such a way. May we interpret your scriptures in such a way that we're not abolishing the law, but we're fulfilling it by living it out 